0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Miami-Boston is the worst playoff series ever. Ever. Like I've ever seen. In sports. Terrible. Awful. A 2-2 series ought to be the best thing ever, yet somehow it's the worst. And I mean the absolute worst. I keep waiting for a good game. I keep waiting for a good game, but four games in, I'm still waiting. Miami led by a million in Game 3. Boston won by a million in Game 4. There has not been a lead change since Game 2. In the last three and a half games, there has been one single lead change. Just one. In other words, if one team gets up, the other team just shuts down. They tap. They look at a lead and they think, oh, hell no. We can't come back from that. So why even try? Why bother? Let's quit. When the going gets tough, the tough quit. It's not the size of the dog. It's the size of the quit in the dog. When life gives you lemons, quit. It's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you quit. And the craziest thing is, these are two of the toughest teams you'll ever find. Yet somehow they're still tapping left and right. Now, some of that is the fact that every single game seems to have multiple guys missing due to injury or multiple guys getting injured. But most of it really is just a matter of the series sucks. Flat out sucks. You've got no idea which team is going to show up on any given night. Literally. Every game, there are new injuries, new guys missing. Marcus Smart was out last night, but Robert Williams was back from Boston. Jimmy Butler was back from Miami, but Tyler Hero was out. But the overall tire fire that is this series is not just about the injuries. It's about everything because this series really is terrible. I mean, it's awful. And the league better do something to fix it. Jump in. Make it right. Fix it, Adam Silver. You've got to do something about this. Instead of spending your time finding guys for swearing, you should be finding guys in this series. Everybody. Swearing is not the biggest problem in the NBA right now. This series is. You've got to do something. Your garbage product is the biggest problem right now. Garbage. Not swearing. Do not let this continue. Just make the next game a winner-take-all. Have Game 5 count for two games. Whoever wins the next game gets to go to the finals. Just call it and move on. Concede the putt. Pick up the ball. And let's just move on. Because I, for one, cannot handle two more games like this. And I sure as hell can't handle three more games like this. Which is crazy because Boston-Milwaukee was so good. I could have watched that for 14 games. Miami is the number one seed in the East. But this series has all the drama of a four or five series between two forgettable teams that gets demoted, that gets flexed down to NBA TV. And again, I don't want to hear about how it's just the injuries. Not when teams alternate which games they're going to just nap it out in. Both teams have the attitude of getting a win and then going to sleep. And getting curb stomped in the next game. It just keeps happening. Miami couldn't crack 40 in the first half. They couldn't crack 40 in the first half. Help, forget cracking 40. They couldn't even get to 35. And I don't want to go all stat head on anybody, but Miami scored 11 in the first quarter. 11. As in one more than 10. And two more than nine. 11 in a 12-minute quarter. They were averaging less than a point a minute in an NBA game. They miss 15 of their first 16 shots. Look, I know Boston will get after you defensively. I know they're known for their defense. But trust me, their defense is not that good. It's not miss 15 of your first 16 shots good. Hell, Marcus is smart. Didn't even play last night, and Miami still couldn't hit a thing. It was 18-1 to before Miami hit their first shot, which is insane. It's crazy. It's impossible. You could put a local high school team on the garden floor last night, and they probably would have made more shots in the first 12 minutes than the Heat. Now, the good news is they did manage to scratch out 22 in the second quarter, and they finally got over 50. Late in the third quarter, Jimmy Buckets, who I always hype, Jimmy Buckets was pretty much Jimmy Bucket last night. Six points total. Charlie Bucket could have been more productive. Hell, Grandpa Joe Bucket could have given the Heat more offense last night. Grandpa- and that deadbeat was in his 90s. And he'd been lying in bed for decades while Mr. and Mrs. Bucket were working themselves to an early grave. But as we all know, when there are perks to be had, that old gravy training SOB was jumping his ass out of bed and had a ton of energy and was kicking his heels together. You show that old man a golden ticket that gets him into the starting lineup— in the Eastern Conference Finals, and all of a sudden he's running and jumping like Ronnie Cycli. I love Ronnie Cycli. It says here that Grandpa Joe would have brought more juice than anybody on the Heat last night. You don't believe me. Check the rest of the starters. Kyle Lowry, three points. My dude, P.J. Tucker, zero. Zero. Max Struce, zero. Point zero. Bam. Bam coming off that enormous game. Everybody's saying, man, if Bam could just do that every single night. Yeah, well, he can't. That's the problem. He had nine. I'm not a big analytics guy, but your starting five combining for 18 points seems less than ideal to me. Alvy... Their five starters combined for 18 points. And don't think for one second about coming in here and telling me that Miami's offense struggled because Tyler Hero wasn't there. Now, yeah, that's not the reason. I mean, I do know that Hero is more than a sandwich. A hero is
1: more than a sandwich.
0: I know that. I do get that. But last night, Miami would have been better off Running a couple of sandwiches out there. Ham on rye. Probably, probably could have got you a couple of shots. A turkey club would have played better defense than Miami played last night. Pastrami coming off the bench and heating it up. Look out for Tuna Sando. Playing lockdown D. Yeah, I, I'm well aware they're both banged up. I'm well aware they're both in pain. But you want to talk about pain? How about the pain they're inflicting on the rest of us for having to watch? Believe me, I'm more busted up watching that game than anybody playing in that game. So I'm calling on Adam Silver yet again. Hey, Kamish, do something. Do your job. Do whatever you have to do to end this series. Put those teams and your fans out of their misery and take care of this. This series is not just bad basketball. It's bad for basketball. Hell, it's bad for America. What I'm saying is, your product right now, Commissioner, is ass. And the question is, are you going to do anything about it, serial ass? And don't act like you can't hear me, because I know you can. <laughs> I know you can. You watch that game last night, and they jump out eighteen to one. I'm like, oh my gosh, again! Here we go again. We're looking at another twenty point blowout. The product, frankly, is ass right now.
2: Serial ass.
0: Unless you want to bet on that game or you're a fan of the winning team, you're miserable. And you know what's even worse? I'm starting to expect it every night. Oh, yeah. I love that sound so much. That sound really does make me smile because it is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start running, grow your business. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. And I love how Shopify has the tools and the resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. What I'm saying is Shopify powers over millions of businesses from first sale to full scale. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. What you want to do is go to shopify.com slash rome, all lowercase, and get a free 14-day trial and find out for yourself. Get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now, shopify.com slash rome. He is Ross Tucker. Ross, what's going on?
3: Jim, uh, everything's awesome. Good to talk with you. I'm actually driving to have lunch with some buddies at an Italian restaurant right now. So I'm in a good place, a little bit of a crossroads in life because, like, am I the guy that gets gnocchi as an appetizer and the chicken parm? Or am I at the stage in my life where I wrap up half the chicken parm? I'm kind of conflicted as to where I am when I go out to eat with other football guys.
0: Yeah, so what do you do? I mean, like, you're a football guy at heart, but now you're a TV guy. You've cut weight. Exactly what do you do? When it comes to portions now, Ross, do you see food, eat food, or do you see food and wrap up food?
3: Well, so this is where I need to get better, to be honest with you, because I work out, like, twice a day to try to stay under 250, but I don't eat as well as I – I actually eat pretty well during the, during the week. But when I go out to eat, portion control. It's never been a strength. But here's the thing. Here's what I've kind of decided. Tell me if you think this is good. Now, I'm going out with my buddy and his two boys for lunch. They both play football at Wisconsin, okay? Like, uh-huh. they're, one's a tight end, one's off. They're, they're gigantic, okay? And they're going to get some sweet appetizers. So I have to partake in that, right? So then when I have the chicken parm, it's a big portion. And I just got to get to the point in my life, you know, I'm 43 where I eat half of it, maybe even three quarters. And that's enough. And I take the rest home. That'll be an awesome lunch tomorrow or Thursday. So, look, they're not going to do that, right? These kids are going to destroy like three chicken parms. I'm not going to feel great about myself. In the moment I'm gonna feel like I'm an old loser but later tonight when I'm laying in bed and thinking about it I'm gonna realize I ultimately did the right thing for my current station in life
0: I think that's the call you have to decide you have to decide what you associate pain and pleasure with and as much pain as there might be in not finishing that plate there will be even more pain if you do finish that plate and you give in and you lose that personal battle Ross quickly so if you're working out twice a day what do the workouts consist of? What are your two workouts every single day?
3: Yeah, so the morning is always uh, in the exercise room. So I've got, um, I either do like the stepper or the bike, uh, yoga, or I lift weights. And then, um, especially this time of year, I, I'll i get a swim in in the afternoon. You know, the one thing I was smart about, Jim, I have not done a single thing to impact my joints since i retired as soon as my career was over i went immediately to joint health preservation mode like i see these guys like god bless like alan fanica ran a marathon like no way dude i I don't do any i don't do any running i don't play basketball i tried that once the next like my back and knee were killing me so everything I do, like I'm like in the air, right? Like I'm like elliptical, a stepper, a bike. If I do go on a treadmill, I just walk on an incline. I am trying to take a long-term horizon of the joint. So I'm going for like a 70-year-old um, knee replacement as opposed to a
0: 55-year-old knee replacement. See, I love that, Ross. And I totally know what you're talking about, Ross Tucker, joining us. Because I'm I'm similar to you. I'm looking at low-impact stuff. Like, when I was younger, I was all about the treadmill every single day, just hammering away, hammering away. But as I got older, I didn't want that pounding on my joints. So I started to go elliptical. I started to go peloton. Had a bit of an issue with the peloton recently, so I took it outside, and I went for a run. I went for a hike run two days in a row. Dude, Ross, like, I, I feel great. My weight's good. I thought that I needed hip replacement surgery after one run on the pavement. <laughs> so let's not change up, man. You were doing the right thing. You were doing the right thing.
3: No, dude, you are so right. It's just, you got to realize, it's just not worth it. Like, it's <laughs> there's other ways you can exercise. Like, riding a bike is great. Just do it in ways that don't impact the joint. That's my philosophy. There's other guys that they don't care, but, like, you're going to they're going to regret that later on.
0: Ross, it gets so much worse too. I I don't want to be this guy. And the one thing I'm trying to do is I don't want to skew old, but I don't even know how I did it. I don't know if it was because I was doing crunches and ab work or if it was the actual cardio, but I started to get this pain, like a deep pain, and didn't feel right. And I ignored it because I went with my inner David Goggins where you got to suffer, you got to suffer, you got to suffer, you got to go. Until all of a sudden, I broke out in a sweat on the air one day and the pain was excruciating. And I went to see my doctor. He's like, oh, yeah, that. That's a double hernia, a double hernia. I'm like, great, doc. Can you uh, hit me with some pills? He's like, no. That's not how that works. You need surgery for a hernia, and you have two of them. I'm like, why? What happened? I, I didn't do anything, but I did. So it gets worse. It gets worse.
3: Oh my god, double hernia! You tried to tough it out. See, that's funny. Like, I, you got to get to the stage when you're at, over like 30 years old. It's no longer like like the no pain, no gain. It's like how about just gain without actual pain? You can, you can do that. But honestly, so much of it is diet and what you eat. And that's, that's where I just have to continue to be better. I mean, it just is what it is, man. Like, we're not, we're not 20 years old anymore.
0: No, dude. It's pl- plus, plus, if that's how it is when it get, you get to be 30, wait till you get to be 50. And the worst part of this was I literally said to the doctor, all right, so where does that lead me? I know it's going to be a matter of time before I can schedule a surgery. Can I still at least ride my Peloton? He goes, I don't see why not. So the second he diagnosed me with that, I went home and I rode 20 miles. And then and then it didn't make it better anyway. That's where that puts us. We could do the entire thing again without talking football, and we might have to because I want to ask you one thing, Ross. You're going for Italian food today, but you had a post, which to me is not polarizing at all recently, but you're late to Thai food, and you immediately put it in your top five ethnic foods. Ross, Thai food is freaking incredible. It's always been in my top three. How did it go for you, and do you feel like you've been missing out?
3: Yeah, it's, um, it's incredible. It's clearly uh, top three for me now. My wife, you know what the truth is? My wife went to business school, okay, and we wanted to go on a trip. To, she wanted to go on a trip to Thailand, and I was like, nah. So she made me try Thai food. After I tried Thai food, and I realized how amazing. I don't know how they get their noodles like that. The big noodles like pad CU, I don't know how they do it. It is so delicious. In fact, I want to retire to Thailand. Like, all day, the massages are like $2.50. I'll just alternate, Jim, between pad CU, massage, pad Thai, pool, massage, pad CU again. I mean, can you imagine what it's like to live in Thailand and, th- by the way, that whole day will cost me $12.22.
0: I was just going to say, right, you get the best food in the world and you get the best work on your body for 20 bucks. How do you beat that? Just make sure you have a Comrex so we can still do our thing and you can still do your business. <laughs> you know, Russ, on, in terms of body, like on a serious note, you did participate in the Race to NCTE again over the weekend. You and I have touched on this in the past, but for those who do not know, why is that event so important to you?
3: Well, because I know guys. Uh, that are starting to have issues and because the founder of the concussion legacy foundation, Chris Lewinsky was a a guy I went against in college. He's a friend now, but he was a D tackle at Harvard when I was at Princeton and no one has done more for the advancement of CTE than Chris Lewinsky. And, I don't have very many causes, right? Like if someone emails me and they're walking for cancer or whatever, and it's a friend, you know, I pretty much always donate like a standard hundred bucks. You know, I, I don't do more or less. Like that's what I, do. I don't care who you are. If you're a friend of mine and you're volunteering time, boom, I'm in because I don't volunteer that much time. But the one time I do is for CTE because that could be me. And it's already been some people I know. Um, it's why I wasn't that surprised that Ali Marpet, the guard for the Bucks, surprisingly retired after seven years. You know, as I tweeted, I think, at Ross Tucker NFL, you're much more likely, okay, to regret retiring too late than you are retiring too early. I mean, you can always come back from retirement if you want to, but if you go a couple years too long you're going to end up having a lot of regrets later on. So for me, it's the least I can do. If Chris Nowinski and the people at the Concussion Legacy Foundation are going to do this type of great research and work, they're close to being able to diagnose it in people that are living. If they're going to do stuff like that, then the least thing I can do is spread the word on social media a little bit and try to raise some money for him.
0: You bet. Ross Tucker is joining us. Ross, George Kittle recently told PFT that when you compare Travis Kelsey's numbers to those of wide receivers, quote, he gets paid half of what a wide receiver makes, which just boggles my mind. End of quote. What's your reaction when you hear that? And now that receivers are getting the contracts they're getting, is it time to see tight ends, to see a big jump as well?
3: Well, it's so funny you say that, Jim, because I actually – On the last episode of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, I had Darren Waller on, the the Raiders tight end, and I was talking about the same thing. I mean, it's crazy how underpaid tight ends are. You know, Kelsey getting half what the top receivers are. How about this one, okay? The last three years, 2019, 2020, 2021, you're playing against the Raiders. The number one threat, number one guy you're worried about is Darren Waller. I mean, I've seen it, Jim. I mean, he is who they ran the passing game through. He is who teams tried to defend. He's scheduled to make $6 million this mm. year, Jim. Now, so look, that's a ton of money to everybody listening and me and whatever. That's like 25% of what Devontae Adams, his new teammate, is making. It can't happen. Like, so, first of all, Darren Waller can't be making half of the already underpaid Travis Kelsey – and then $0.25 cents on the dollar of Devontae Adams. You know, I said to him, I'm like, listen, man, I don't, I don't think I'd be going to training camp if I were you. And he said, well, my agent is talking to the team, and, you know, he's working on that. And if I have to make a decision at some point, then I have to make a decision. But I think tight ends, uh, even more so than running backs, are the most underpaid position group in the league. The Chiefs passing game goes through Kelsey. The Niners, I mean, Kittle might be – I know Debo, they're probably about to break off Debo. You know, I don't know, $22, 23000000 million. I'd be very interested if you ask Kyle Shanahan if he'd only have one, Kittle or Debo, who he would take. And he still might pick Debo, but I'm not so sure about that. When you watch Kittle destroy people as a blocker, when you watch how they move Kittle around, I'm not convinced Kyle Shanahan would tell you that he'd rather have Debo, yet, Debo might get a deal that pays him. million more a year. It just makes no sense. I mean, these, these tight ends need to fight the power and not just let them get 500 grand more than the guy before them Each time they need to be up there closer to where the wide receivers are.
0: I think you make such good points, such good points. Ross Tucker joins me for a few more moments. Now, Ross, you and I have not spoken since the draft and since the Eagles made their moves during the draft, bringing in A.J. Brown and selecting Jordan Davis in the first round and now adding James Bradbury as well. What are your thoughts on how they've approached the offseason and then what kind of a year are you expecting from them?
3: Well, it's really interesting, right, because the Eagles clearly think that they have an opportunity this year. Right, I mean, they go out and they get Hassan Redick to start free agency, double-digit sack guy, back-to-back years. But then the move for A.J. Brown, and then in particular I would say Bradbury, since it's only a one-year deal, you really don't do that, Jim, if you don't think you're going anywhere this year, right? Like you don't give James Bradbury, whatever it was, $7.5 million up to $9 million on a one-year deal unless you see opportunity. And quite frankly, I see opportunity for them. You know, they're not going to be a favorite over the Rams or the Bucks with Brady back. But the NFC is a heck of a lot more winnable than the AFC is. And it wouldn't shock me if the Eagles were in the mix at the end. I mean, if Hurts takes an, another step forward with the guys they've added, I mean, A.J. Brown, uh, with the, the Kobe Dean at linebacker, they could be right there. And I'll tell you another thing, Jim. And I just said this on the Even Money podcast, the betting podcast I have. That, that elbow injection for Stafford, that's not good, bro. I mean, think about this, okay? You know the way these quarterbacks are. They're like pitchers. You know how valuable their arm is to them. There is no chance, okay, that Stafford got that injection in his elbow without talking to two or three doctors, without it really bothering him To the point where the second or third doctor in a row said, you know what, maybe inject it with an anti. These guys aren't getting injections in their elbow just for the heck of it. Now, I'm not saying he's done or I'm not going that far. I'm just saying whenever they poo-poo an injury this time of year, I get my antenna up a little bit.
0: Seems to me, Ross, if you're taking the spike on your moneymaker, then it's a thing. I'm looking at it right now. I know you've seen this. You mentioned your uh, betting podcast. The Eagles are plus 2,500 on DraftKings to win it all. You got to hit that just to hit that at that number, right? It's
3: something you should strongly consider. I haven't even a looked taste. to see. Yeah, I mean, I haven't even looked to see where their season win total went. But I think when it was nine or nine and a half, I loved the, I mean, they won nine games last year. I love the over on that. And I do think if you're going to go for a longer shot Super Bowl winner, I think the Eagles are a great choice. Now, of course, when I say that, Jim, everybody's going to say I'm a homer because I do the Eagles preseason games. I'm from there. but you're the one that brought up, you're you're obviously thinking the same thing.
0: Yeah, You're a homer or you're inside and you have information, and since when is anybody not a homer when they cover a team? I, I've got no issue with that whatsoever, and I'm not saying exclusively, like, you want to spread that bet, you want to take some shots. I'm looking, if I'm going to hedge, I'm going to hedge hard somewhere else, but if I'm looking for opportunities and looking to hit a home run and I see them at plus 2,500, I'm going to look at that. Now, I've got another over-under for you, Ross, as long as we're talking gambling. What is the over- on the clones crashing my front page story again today is it 10 minutes is it 15 minutes is it seven minutes because the fact of the matter is father's day is coming up so hit everybody up with this opportunity that you have for them
3: well that's funny that you say that because i was going to say i don't know i don't know if the clones can do it this time But, yeah, nobody knows what to get their dad for Father's Day. Literally nobody knows what to get their dad for Father's Day. Your dad, everybody listening, your dad's one of the only people you know that still reads the newspaper. So why not give him a cover story that's framed with him on it, pictures of him and the whole family with a headline that he will absolutely love. He'll have no idea it's coming, and it'll be hanging up in his house forever forever. So anytime you come, you bring the kids, his grandkids, they'll get to see it. They'll see Pop-Pop or whatever you, they, you call him, Grandpa. They will absolutely love it. And I don't know. I think, Jim, after the last time, they assured me again. Uh, maybe they hadn't implemented the new thing to make sure it didn't crash. But we'll see. I'll get it. I'll text my guy, and we'll see if they can do it again. Myfrontpagestory.com. You don't know what to get your dad. He does not want a power washer or socks. Power washers are unbelievable, but he already has one. Myfrontpagestory.com, he doesn't already have that.
0: All right, first of all, I love this notion that first things first, your old man, your father, is the only one who still reads the newspaper. So get him the best newspaper ever. I love that. That will never go out of style. Until, well, frankly, I hate to say this, Ross, until all of our dads are in the ground, you're right, they will always read the newspaper, as long as they're in newspapers, so get them that. And then clones, there is a challenge in that. Now, I don't know, Ross, if your IT guys have increased bandwidth, or if they promised it would never happen again, but clones, take one last run at this. You have, you have a streak. You have crashed the site every single time. We have talked about MyFrontPageStory.com, MyFrontPageStory.com. And if anything else, you do got to find Pop something to get. Dad is impossible to shop for. I know this. Every time they come at me, with like, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? I- I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need anything. The one thing I don't have, though, is MyFrontPageStory. So go there. Do it for your dad. MyFrontPageStory.com. Ross, you know what? turning loose dude you've been working out twice a day every day don't bring any food home today man just eat it all it's
3: so funny you just said that you just got me so pumped up i decided during your my front page story crash the website speech i'm eating the whole chicken farm it's like three things of chicken i'm eating the whole thing i'm still a young man i'm 43 I served my country. I played high school
0: football. I'm eating the whole chicken parm. You do it, Ross. You're aging in reverse. I'm watching you. I see you on camera. You look great. You have figured out a way to age in reverse. Eat the entire parm. Now, Clones, he's doing his job. You do yours. Crash the bleeping site. Get it myfrontpagestory.com, myfrontpagestory.com. And don't do it just to do it, although that's what you clones do. Don't do it just to do it, but do it because it's a great product and Father's Day is coming up. Ross, have an amazing day. Great to have you on, and sorry ahead of time for the clones crashing the site yet again.
3: I just texted my guy, so we'll see whether or not they get it done, and uh, I'll just have a salad for dinner.
0: Let's talk investing for a minute and how confusing things can get when people start throwing around terms like altcoin, shilling, meme stocks, and the like. With all that jargon flying around, it can be hard to figure out how to start investing. So whether you're eager to get started with investing or you already know the ropes and you want to diversify your portfolio, SoFi has your back. Let me tell you what I like about SoFi. No commissions on trading stocks and ETFs. No account fees or hidden fees either. You can use fractional shares that start as low as $5 to buy brand name stocks, even if you don't have a couple of grand lying around. And complimentary financial planners are ready to help you out with any questions, whether you're stuck on where to start or you need help deciding on what to do next. So what you should do is get hands-on with active investing or let's SoFi's number one ranked automated investing tool take the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio by doing it for you. And then on top of that, you can explore the world of cryptocurrency right alongside the rest of your investments. 30 available coins include Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, and more. So cut through the jargon and make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com Rome and learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open up an account. That's soficom Rome. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities LLC, member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. All investments involve risk, including the loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results or future performance. All right, so let me talk about hefty. For a minute. There is so much in Alan Shipnick's book about Phil Mickelson that when we talked last week, we barely scratched the surface. And we never really did get into a deep dive on Phillips' incredible weirdness when it came to his longtime caddy, Bones McKay. McKay is now caddying for Justin Thomas, of all people. And after Thomas won the PGA championship on Sunday, JT shouted out to Bones.
1: I'm fully confident saying that I, I wouldn't be standing here if I if he didn't give me that it wasn't necessarily a speech but a talk if you will and I mean I just needed to let some steam out I needed I, I didn't need to bring my frustration and anger home with me I didn't need to to leave the golf course in a negative frame of mind and I just went down I mean I played Played pretty well yesterday for shooting four over, and I felt like I played terrible. And he was just like, dude, like, you're, you got to be stopping so hard on yourself. You know, you, you're in contention every single week we're playing.
0: You see, this is the value of having the right guy in your bag. This is what a good caddy can do for you. And when you win, you're supposed to take care of your caddy, which is exactly what Thomas did. JT did what most golfers do he gave the flag from the 18th green to McKay. It's customary. It's a tradition, and that's where Phil Mickelson comes in, because that's not what Hefty used to do. According to Shipnook's reporting, part of the reason why McKay left Mickelson was the fact that he was not being paid a lot. Quote: By McKay's calculations, he was owed nine hundred thousand dollars. In the months before the breakup, as things were becoming increasingly strained between them, Mickelson paid McKay $400,000 toward the FedEx Cup debt, but Bones was miffed not to get the full amount. End of quote. Like, how greedy can you get? I mean, either greedy as hell or broke as hell. This dude has made tens of millions of dollars over the course of his career, and he wouldn't pay his caddy. And if I'm reading that correctly, that 900 grand is not a tip. That's not a gratuity. That's a bill. That's what you owe the man. But it gets even worse. Quote, Then there was the dispute about the 18th hole flags from their victories. Mickelson had always insisted on nabbing these keepsakes for his grandfather's kitchen wall. This included the 4 Masters four months after Nunu's death. Phil had that one framed and presented to his grandmother, Jenny, Nuna's widow. McKay understood and respected that gesture, but 19 more tour victories would follow, including four majors, and he never got to keep a single flag. End of quote. Listen, it makes total sense that Phil would want to give one to his grandmother after his grandfather passed away. But then to go 19 more tour wins including four majors, and never once let your caddy keep one? I mean, that's maybe the greediest, most selfish thing ever. Matt Kutcher can't believe you would jam a caddy that hard. Kutcher? As Shipnook wrote, quote, that's a giant bleep you to a caddy. End of quote. Said somebody very close to McKay. Quote, When Phil wins the Masters, he gets the green jacket, the trophy, the big check, all the glory. He had to take the flags too? Every other caddy who has ever won the Masters got to keep the 18th hole flag. For Phil not to follow tradition was hugely disrespectful. End of quote. Hugely disrespectful and yet so on brand. So very Phil. This guy helps you win the Masters, and you're going to jam him like that? And it still gets worse because Mickelson paid McKay some more money and then, quote, overnighted, two bones, the flags from their wins at the PGA Championship, British Open, and the 06-2010 Masters. But... Phil autographed them in comically large letters, which McKay felt disfigured the keepsakes. End of quote. I mean, what a pig. Seriously. Th- that's the only word for it, right? Pig. Piggy. To quote Burt Fields, you, you pig. You pig. You pig. You pig. I mean, that is some really piggish behavior. Keeping the flag is extremely greedy and pig-like when it's just etiquette and protocol to give the caddy the flag. And yet he's the only guy not doing it. I'm picking up some extreme swine vibes here. Extreme swine vibes. I mean, there's no other way around it. That's being a pig. You pig. That's being a hog. That's being a complete and utter swine. Making sure your caddy gets the flag is the simplest, easiest thing that you can do to make sure he knows how much you appreciate him. And to jam him like that, not once, but for years, and every single time, is about the most piggish thing I've ever heard. Forget glossing him hefty. I'm going to ask you straight piggy. Piggy. If it was a bleep you to not give him the flag in the first place, it's an even bigger bleep you to then write your name all over the flag when you do. Like, dude, I don't think he needs your autograph. He worked with you for a long, long time. He helped you make a lot of money. I don't think he wants a selfie and an autograph. He just wants the flag. Let's keep it real. He earned it. I mean, could you be any more selfish could you be any more of a pig? You pig. To paraphrase the man himself, he is a scary mother pigger. I mean, I picture pigs listening to this show and pigs saying to me, hey, Rome, don't compare that dirtbag to us. You pig. I mean, Hefty, I hope you're getting that much needed time to recoup... Heal, rejuvenate, do whatever it is pigs do when they go away. Just know that nobody misses you. So feel free to sit down in your own filth and watch another major pass. I mean, how petty and selfish could you be? You know, toughen up. Toughen up? That flag does not belong to you, Bones? Bones? And Bones had said, he had had enough. I'm done. I'm good. I'm done. I don't no, need this. I don't even need to work. And said that Justin Thomas is the only guy that he would have come back for. And what do you know? Justin rewards him with a major and the flag and a big shout-out and a big thank you. Oh, and by the way, does not owe him a half a mil. At least. If you owe this guy 900. And then you pay 400 Either you are a greedy, selfish pig. With prices soaring at the pump, Discover has your back with cash back. Use Discover to earn 5% cash back at gas stations and Target now through June on up to $1,500 in purchases when you activate. We know every dollar matters right now, but you can count on us. Get up to $75 cash back this quarter with Discover card. Limitations do apply. Learn more at discover.com slash rewards. Discover.com slash rewards. We have our first player profile of the Smackoff season. Now, we did call an audible. I thought that I was going to start with somebody different today. Not the caller we plan to start with. But after the show yesterday, we blew the plan up completely because of an RSVP call that we received from a one-of-one clone who is quickly becoming one of the most polarizing figures in the history of the show. And that figure is not even a human. That figure is a dog, Paul's dog. And that dog is already a made pooch around here. Because over the past year, that dog has somehow evolved from a novelty act to a legitimate threat and a contender to rip the whole thing. Legitimately. He's the first animal to ever rip a golden ticket. The first animal to ever participate in the smack-off. The first animal to snag golden tickets in consecutive years. And yesterday, he became the first animal ever... To drop an RSVP call.
1: I have a message for the smack off people should have let this sleeping dog lie. Rhyme the best in show. There's never been anybody as ruthless. Rhyme Cujo. Rhyme Rintin tin. There's no one like me. Ryan from their fur. There's no one that can walk me. My bark is impetuous. My bike is impregnable when right, I'm just ferocious right wants your heart we want to eat your leftovers praise be to dog roar right on mic scaring cowards and then fading into bolivia riff me from
0: route all right so the only thing more amazing than the call itself is the reaction to the call Basically, two reactions to that RSVP. Either you loved it, or you hate this guy's guts. Or you hate this dog's guts. There was nothing in between. Here's a small sampling of what the clones were tweeting after the phone call. The Perez tweets, I was having a bad morning, but after hearing Paul's dog, I'm so much better. Just got my pick to win the smack off. End of quote. John Paul Segura, quote, I just turned off your show because Paul's dog was ending it. What a load of childish garbage. Way to ruin an otherwise good show, dude. Lame. End of quote. Ray NSA. Hey, Jim, Paul's dog is a true dynasty. A dynasty of rack calls. End quote. Darth Todd, quote, have to mute Rome during the dreaded Paul's dog bit. That voice is annoying as hell, not to mention just dumb. End of quote. Jake Stover, quote, I think it's time to push out some Paul's dog merch. End of quote. Chris in Toronto, 22-year clone. Paul's dog has jumped the shark. There is nothing remotely funny about it. End quote. Juan Rivera, quote, Dear Jim, I do have a dog in this fight at Smack Off. Johansson, quote, Paul's dog is some of the stupidest stuff you've ever done. Why, Jim? Why? Fireball Phil, quote, Paul's dog is the goat. Like, it went on and on like that. You get the point. And the point is, this mutt is a freaking lightning rod. Honestly, even Brad and Corona, the actual greatest caller ever to the program, even Bradley does not elicit this type of polarization. You either despise the dog and want to put him down, literally, or you love the dog. You think he makes the show or you think he wrecks the show. The only other category is one of confusion. Like, if you miss the dog's debut, then you're wondering how the whole thing started in the first place. Like, where the hell did Rover come from? Totally fair question. With a rather straightforward answer, Paul and Buffalo called up one day back in December of 2020, and then his dog stole the show. Hey, Paul, what's up? How are you? Hey, Jim. The pleasure to speak with you. First off,
2: I'd like to really... Uh... My dog's barking. So what kind of dog I'd is that? like to. Uh, a, I, he's. Uh, I think he's kind of a lot of different ones, but I think he's a ridgeback. Okay. And uh, Jack Russell. But anyhow, Jim, I want to, uh, you know, extend your support to the equine industry. My father uh, raised horses out of Toronto, and every uh, winter he would have to go down to New York. Oh, Alvin's getting me. It's, and uh, so I became a Jets fan as my dad was living out of New York.
4: All but right, Paul, my, thank my
0: you wife? very much. May I jump in here? Now I'm going to talk about you, Paul. seizing Actually, an opportunity. You. you talk about an instant sensation. Rover rips a ticket on his first ever call. He's been one of the most consistent and somehow controversial callers to the program ever since. And he keeps getting better and better and better. Now, the amazing thing is, what happened to Paul? I wonder if Paul even knows that his dog is calling the show all the time. Like, what happened to Paul? This dog sings. This dog raps. This dog speaks Spanish. This dog went toe-to-toe with Jeff Passan. And the dog carries a bit of mystery and a whole lot of intrigue. No one close to you should have to endure the dreaded knock on the door, the knock that comes from a police officer who must tell your loved ones that you were killed in a car crash. It's a message that gets even worse when they learn that your death may have been prevented if you had only been wearing a seatbelt. The simple fact is, regardless of what type of vehicle you ride in, seatbelt use is the single most effective way to stay alive in a crash. That's why the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is spreading the word. We want to raise the profile of seatbelt safety so we can save lives. So whether you're going on a cross-country trip or just right up the street, please buckle up. Don't risk it. And remember, click it or tick it. Brought to you by NHTSA.
1: With so much drama in the JTB. It's kind of whoop. being Paul D-O-Double G. But I somehow some what keep coming up with fancy taste about uh, every single day. Sandwich snacker Man, Nice to see you again, Sando. Good thing Paul has a widescreen TV. Looks like snacks ate Randrew Bogish. Randrew! First word is Randrew! Roof, 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 roof! Passing v. Paul's dog. Passing v. Paul's dog. Passin's phone got hacked. That's pretty whack. Follow me on Sniffer. Look at me on bite. Paul's dog getting wrecked all damn night. My main mutt, Quentin Rover. Or Mad Dog speaking Spanish. Hola, amigo. Rasta la vista. Rhyme Paul's dog. Randy, you're not. Rum-a-made pooch, 30 pieces of kibble, rough me, rum route.
0: Brian, Scalbrainy, Scal, good to have you back. How are you? I'm
2: good, Jim. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you, dude. Four games into the Eastern Conference Finals, Scal. This has been one of the weirdest, ugliest series I've seen in a long, long time. You would think, Brian, that a 2-2 series would be competitive, but almost none of the four games have been. How do you explain what's going on?
2: You know, it's, it's, it is hard to explain. I will say that the game of the NBA has changed a little bit. You know, like a long time ago, when things when a team would go on a run, you would give the ball to your best player, and your best player would, quote, unquote, try to save you. I think that uh, that's a mistake nowadays. And when you look at, like, the Golden State Warriors and the way that they play, it doesn't matter what the score is. Up 10, up 20, down 10, down 20. Those guys are going to do the same thing. And I feel like both these teams, and really especially the Celtics, when, uh, when Miami goes on a run, I feel like they downshift a little bit, trying to play controlled basketball, which leads to more turnovers, which leads to a bigger run. And I think they need to figure out how to get out of that. I think uh, Game Four gave them a lot of confidence and believe that they could play a little bit faster. They could put the, the heat in rotation. They could get some things going. But I, I don't like the fact that it's not '90s anymore where you walk the ball up in the playoff. That doesn't work with the physicality kind of back in the game and, and guys guarding at a high level one on one. I'd like to see when when teams are down to just keep your foot on the gas, let that ball fly around. I think you'll start these runs these 39 to 15 quarters will go away if if teams will play a lot faster.
0: Scott, this is something I really like about you. I've always appreciated the fact that you had a really nice career and you were a really nice player, but what you don't do is sit around talking about how the game was so much better when you played or explain the game through that lens like when I played the game. I mean, it's not like you've been retired for a long time. What is the biggest difference then overall between the game now versus when you played?
2: Yeah, you know, a skill level, it's, and it's true, and it's across the board. You know, like even right now, I'm, I'm sure you maybe have asked a question to somebody about injuries. Well, I know a long time ago there was three guys on the court that couldn't play a lick. They could shoot, but they couldn't, like, they couldn't break you down. Their skill level wasn't at a high level. They couldn't shoot the ball from three and drive to the paint. So think about that from a defensive standpoint. You've got, you got an ailing knee or a sore ankle. You're gonna get exposed nowadays because the skill level is absolutely off the chart. The decision making, like the passing and everything like that, is off the chart. So it's almost better to sit out when you're if you're gonna be out there limping around. But let's go back to the '90s. Like there's the, the game was slow, and at, when when a game is slow, and if you have got an ailing knee, you can kind of like sit down, guard, not have to move that much. Nowadays, you to in rotation, you're gonna be tested, and I think a lot of these guys think. Well, why would I want two games where I'm below average, where I could sit out, someone else can play, and they could be at a high level, and then another guy, I mean, then I can come back the following day and be a whole lot better. So the game is so different now. It's so much faster. You have to cover so much more ground than you used to back in the day. Helping a guy on a drive and building out to a knockdown shooter who then could also deck the ball and drive you, that's not easy to do. And if you're sore, sore back, sore knee, sore ankle – it's going to be tough for you to be out there.
0: Brian Scalbrini is joining us. Scott, I want to ask you about Al Horford, who had 13 or rebounds, 5 points, 4 blocks, and 3 assists last night. As somebody who knows this team really well, how important is Horford to what they do, both offensively and defensively?
2: Well, defensively, he can guard all positions. He does a great job of, you know, like you saw him last round against the great Giannis Antetokounmpo. He did a great job at times. I mean, Giannis is a beast. But, like, even to be able to guard a guy like that and also to guard a guy like Kyle Lowry, the versatility is amazing. I think, you know, like, we're seeing that a little bit from Draymond Green over in Golden State. And the really good teams are versatile defensively. So he provides that. You don't have to coach around him. You don't have to do things defensively for a guy who's slow of foot. And then offensively, he's a great connector. If you're – the court is 50 feet wide. If you want to use the whole court and put teams in rotation – Al Horford's the kind of guy that, that knows how to do that. And the fact that he can make a shot, so you have to respect that. He's good at getting the guys the ball uh, when they need it. Think of a point center, point forward type of player out there. And he just makes – like the, it makes the Miami Heat tough to match up with when Al Horford's moving that ball side to side. The man took two shots. Yesterday, and he was one of the most important players on the floor.
0: Hmm. Brian Scalabrini is joining us. You mentioned Draymond Green. You know, I thought you said something really interesting about Draymond Green recently. You said you were shocked the first time you saw him run a shell drill. What was it that you saw that stunned you so much? What makes him special in that regard?
2: Yeah, he's made me a better analyst from that standpoint. Like I was, I was coaching him at the time, but. Everything now in the NBA is about the gather. I know it's like, it's really hard to see if you're watching TV, but when you're there, it's your ability to make the decision when the guy is picking up the ball. You know, when a guy picks up the ball to shoot, when a guy picks up the ball to pass. That's why it's important, like for guards to have one, be able to make one hand passes because you can't decipher when a guy is doing that. Well, Draymond Green was moving faster than everybody else. His ability and his brain and his eyes to read the gather. A guy is going to shoot on this play. A guy is going to pass. So many other times, a guy has to wait before the ball is out of the guy's hands before he starts rotation. And at this point, with the, with the shooting and the skill level that I just mentioned earlier, you're dead in the water. If you're not moving before the gather and you're not being tricked by those, these guards who are ultra crafty, you're going to be a step behind. And I wouldn't call him like quick. Like He's not like elite quickness or athleticism. He just moves faster than everybody else. And, I, and I'm not comparing Draymond Green to Larry Bird, but I talked to old, I've never played against Larry Bird, but i talked to old-time players, and old-time players would say, like, even though Bird was slow, he just moved faster than everybody else. I mean, you know, like he's moving before everybody else is moving. So his brain is elite for that. And you know what? It might be for many reasons. It might be because he was a little bit overweight when he was in high school and college, so he had to kind of make up for that. Now he's got himself in incredible shape and and so there's a lot of reasons why a player has to adapt along the way but Draymond Green of all the players I've ever been a part of seen defensively I've never seen a player read the gather or move the way that he has defensively.
0: That's actually fascinating. Brian Scalabrine joining us. Scal, it seems to me, you tell me I'm wrong, but if Boston just takes care of the ball, right? If they take care of the ball, they should advance. If that's the case, if you were to look ahead to a Boston-Golden State matchup, is it responsible? Can we do that? And if so, what are your early thoughts on that matchup?
2: Yeah, I mean, first, they, you know what? And one thing, Jim, a lot of people think turnovers are bad because they just look at the offense. And I, I, I agree. Like, turnovers are bad. But the Miami Heat forced those turnovers. Like, let's give Kyle Lowry credit. Like, where would Kyle Lowry be as an NBA player if he didn't have the hands that he has defensively? Like, the guy's incredible. So, I do think the Miami Heat are forcing turnovers. But with that being said, I do 100% agree with you. So, just keep it around 13 or less turnovers. There's no way the Miami Heat can fabricate enough offense to win. So, let's take it one step further. Now, the Celtics' defense is amazing. They're good at scrambling. I would say maybe top two in the NBA at scrambling out of defensive breakdowns. The difference is a lot of times that's guarding isolation. Think about it. First round, they go against Kevin Durant, who's a big-time isolation player. Now you're used to guarding that. You go second round, Giannis. Giannis on the isolation, different than Kevin Durant, but still mostly one-on-one. He's not doing it off of catch and shoot or or flying around the three-point line. Now we're in Miami He's It's a little bit different, similar to what Golden State does. But like Golden State's a whole other animal. Like, you could be a great defensive team like Dallas. Dallas is a great defensive team, guarding isolation, guarding pick and roll. We saw that in the Phoenix Sun Series in Game 7. Like, Phoenix couldn't even get into the paint. But the, the way the Warriors play, flare screens, flip screens, reading, driving, cutting, that's a problem. And that's a problem for most teams in the NBA, and that's the reason why the Warriors are hitting their stride. And I didn't even mention – their elite shooting that goes along with that, with Jordan Poole, Klay Thompson, uh, uh, Steph Curry, Otto Porter, uh, Draymond Green, moving the basketball, getting other guys involved. Andrew Wiggins knocking down three. So as of right now, you know, I love my Celtics, but I do think the Golden State Warriors are a tougher matchup for the Celtics. I think what the Warriors do great is really hard for the Celtics to match up with and still be that elite defensive team, even though historically – In the last five years, even when they had Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, historically the Celtics have done a really good job of guarding all the cuts and guarding all the shooting of the Warriors. Right now, as I see it, I'm going to lean towards Golden State with experience, and that motion offense—it's really difficult to match up with.
0: Fair enough, Scott. One last thought: So, where does that leave us tonight? Do you think that with a boot on their throat, Golden State's going to finish this thing, and Dallas is already done, or do you think Dallas rises up, shows some pride and heart and grit, and finds a way to at least extend this thing so they don't get swept?
2: Yeah, so uh, I think with Dallas, they play better with with like when they're when they're free flowing, right? When the it's not Luka, Luka, like he can have the whole world on his shoulders and he's going to play great. The role players. I think they struggle a little bit with pressure. And when they're playing good, they're going to win. So even the one game that the Warriors came back in, Dallas sort of like lost their mojo, really made shots in the first half, didn't make shots. So I'm guessing tonight Dallas plays wild. They play free. They want to win. Like they have that attitude. Luka wants to win. Luka in his mind thinks that he can bring them back. I think they win tonight, but then ultimately losing in the gentleman's sweep in Golden State for Game
0: 5. Mm, he's an NBA champion, and 11-year NBA vet, a first-team all-pack tenor, Celtics analyst in NBC Sports Boston, Odyssey NBA insider, and frankly, so good at what he does and so great the last time he was on. We had to bring him back as quickly as possible. Scout, thanks so much for doing that. Always great to have you on the show, Brian.
2: Yeah, thanks, Jim. I'll talk to you during the finals.
0: We are joined by Anthony Fergster himself. Anthony, good to have you back. How are you? How's it going? Thanks for having me on. It's good to have you on. So tell me, first, if you would, if you go back to before you signed with the Falcons, what was your approach going into free agency, and what was the entire experience like for you?
4: Yeah, so it was my first time being um, unrestricted, um, so I kind of knew the opportunity might have been open to go elsewhere, just kind of, I don't know, seeing how last year went with the tight ends and kind of my agent talking with their front office as well. Um, yeah, we were interested in maybe just looking at other options, and yeah, it's kind of how it started to go, and took a little bit of time, just kind of felt out what was the best situation, um, and then we were looking at more of a short-term deal, just based on the, kind of the numbers I had, um, just to get a chance to kind of, what was the best opportunity for that one-year deal, and we felt confident with Atlanta, um, the comfortability with Arthur Smith, and Um, how he used me in the past and how he coached me. And we just thought it was a good opportunity for a one-year deal.
0: Anthony Furxer is joining us. That makes sense to me. I was going to ask you about Arthur Smith. I mean, what is it? Obviously, you're comfortable with him and with the system, but God, there's something about him from the outside looking in that seems to me that he's really different. You've played for him. What makes him special in your mind as a coach and also as an offensive mind?
4: Yeah, I mean, he just it makes it enjoyable to be out there and kind of – I mean, I feel like he does a great job getting the most out of his players and putting guys in the right spot and using their skill sets to the best advantage and just to work on mismatches, um, specifically with the offensive side. I mean, I've worked with him as a tight ends coach and a coordinator. Um, So, yeah, it's been cool to see him progress as a head coach and just how he kind of – his demeanor out there and how he gets respect from all the guys on the team and just how he treats us. So it's an awesome environment to be in, and I'm excited to be a
0: Falcon. All right, so let me ask you this. George Kittle recently made the point that Travis Kelsey puts up enormous numbers and does not get paid anywhere close to what receivers get. I know you attended tight end university last year. Do you feel like tight ends get the respect that they deserve around the league and amongst fans?
4: Yeah, I think, I think it hasn't been in the past, but it's definitely been growing. Um, I think that's been – yeah, a lot due to George Kittle and Kelsey who have made huge plays on the field and have got these bigger contracts. And, yeah, I think this the tight end U, I was there last year, just a great opportunity to learn from the best guys in the league at the position and just get tips and pointers and be able to get direct contact with these guys that, yeah, you might not be able to learn from as much just from on film and just actually hear them speak and talk and kind of learn from each other.
0: Anthony Furkser is joining us. All right, so joining the Falcons also means that you're going to work with Marcus Mariota once again. What do you remember about playing with him in Tennessee, and then how eager are you to having that reunion and getting back to work with him?
4: Yeah, Marcus was a was a great leader in Tennessee. I mean, yeah, I was early on there, kind of just getting into the NFL, um, 2018, 2019. Um, but yeah, I feel like he did a great job just controlling the offense and getting everyone in the right spot. and um, just being a dependable guy out there that you know he's going to work hard and um, you know he's going to find ways to help the team win. So, yeah, just having that trust that we've built early on in my career. Um, so, yeah, I feel like it's good just to get back out there with him and kind of build that dynamic up again.
0: Yeah, you always hear business is business. It's a business. It's a ruthless business. But I'm curious, you really made a name for yourself and you established yourself in the NFL during your time with the Titans. Knowing that, how difficult was it? How challenging was it to move on to a new team and a new situation?
4: Yeah, it was, it was tough leaving. I mean, I loved everything the Titans um, did for me and appreciated um, the coaches and the front office there. Uh, and especially the teammates I made and friends just on the team just being there for so long. So yeah, it was tough leaving. And yeah, I'm still in contact with a lot of the guys um, just as friends and they're actually coming to help out at my camp to volunteer at. So um Yeah, so i still got some ties to Tennessee and stuff. But Atlanta's not too far away, so that's always good. But, yeah, I'm excited for a new
0: opportunity. I'm going to ask you about your camp in one minute, but I want to ask you about something else, too. Am I correct in thinking that you and your fiancé got engaged a few months back and that there's a wedding plan going on right now? And I'm really curious because, man, dude trust me, it goes fast. My wife and I have been married almost 25 years, but I distinctly remember the wedding planning process where I said, I will stroke the check and you can make every decision. And she said, no, that's not how that's going to go. You will be involved in the decisions. And I said, no, really, it's okay. You can do whatever you want. She said, no, that's not how we're doing this. What about you? How is the wedding planning going for you?
4: Yeah, it's been kind of similar. I mean, yeah, she's kind of leading the charge on that, but she definitely gives me some involvement and asks me some questions just to kind of help lead it. But yeah, kind of, she's, she's been the main main driver for making that whole day work. And yeah, we're excited to have that in
0: July. Good for you guys. Okay. So we did too in July, where in July, if I could ask, because we, we got married in Napa in July and we might as well have been married on the surface of the sun. It was the hottest day ever. People still talk about it. So where are you guys doing it?
4: Yeah. So we're actually in, um, Ensenada, Mexico. Uh, it is. It's going to be a hot one
0: too. So okay, <laughs> trying to prepare for that. Yeah, but, prepare for that. Yeah. But it's good. A destination wedding's good because people always remember. All right, So you're going to host your football camp on June 5th in Franklin, Tennessee. The camp is going to benefit the Aloe family. I know the Aloe family is an organization that is very close to your heart. For those who do not know, what is that all about?
4: Yeah. So my fiance Natalie started this um, nonprofit. Um, she works a lot with a community in nashville that's some immigrant and refugee families um helping kind of assimilate the kids into the culture and help with um just the language barrier they have and school and education and um and then also with the community in um in mexico right over the border like a border town that she's been working with for many years um and yeah helping with job creation and education as well um for kids and other needs that families have there so Yeah, so that's the connection there, and we're trying to just yeah do a big little camp to help um, raise money for the cause.
0: Super. Great cause. That's the Anthony Fergster Football Camp. That's June 5th in Franklin, Tennessee. He did sign a deal with the Atlanta Falcons and played his college ball at Harvard. Anthony, great to have you on the show. Good luck with the summer. I know it's going to be a big summer for you, and it's great to have you back on. Thanks so much.
4: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Good night now!